Blog Welcome, listeners, to Art Fair Radio. This is Connie Mettler of ArtFairInsiders.com, a social networking site for artists, and I'm publisher of ArtFairCalendar.com, the place to find the nation's best art fairs and fine craft shows. Later in the show, we will be taking your calls. If you would like to call in, here's the number, 805-243-1338. Do not call in just to listen. If you but you've got if you've got a question, then dial the number because if you're listening, you don't need to pick up your phone. Okay, folks. If you are interested in making money in the fine art and craft show business, there are two things everybody needs to do to do. First, you need to get into the show, your marketplace. And secondly, once you get there, you have to be able to sell your work, right? Two, two tricks. Today's guests are two people who have made a career out of helping artists do exactly that. Photographer Larry Berman has been exhibiting at art fairs for over 30 years and was one of the first to recognize the importance of digital imagery in the art fair business. He's built a career helping artists improve their jury images and photographing their artwork and regularly consults with artists and art fairs about images and jurying. Welcome, Larry. Thanks for joining us. Oh, hi, Connie. I'm glad you're there, Larry. <laughs> you got some. You got some good tips for us today, right? Oh, absolutely. All right, can't wait. My other guest is Bruce Baker. <laughs> Bruce began selling his jewelry at retail and wholesale shows in the 1980s. Taking what he learned there, he began consulting full-time in 2005, sharing his retailing and business experience with a variety of groups, conducting over 600 marketing and production-related workshops in the past two decades. He leads training sessions helping artists be more productive and competitive in the international marketplace. Hello, Bruce. So glad you could make it today. I'm glad to be here. All right. I think between Bruce and Larry and I, we've got almost a hundred years' experience in this business, so we should be we should have some answers, right? Longevity. <laughs> well, you're making us seem old. <laughs> well, well, I am old. So. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> okay. Between the two of you, there is such a mountain of helpful information that we need to get going on this. So the topic here is going to do ten best tips. I've decided we'll just do a David Letterman-style top 10 countdown, starting with number 10. Larry will share his top 10 most important things an artist must do with his jury images, and Bruce will share his top 10 things to do to ensure success at the show. I hope everybody's ready. They've got something ready to write down so they get all these great information. We're going to start with you, Bruce. Tell me, in the top 10 countdown, what's your number 10 Best tip. Thank you, Connie. Number 10 is uh, branding your business. Uh, And can you hear me? Yes, I can. Because I just had a call come in. My apologies. Um, Number 10 is branding your business. I go to so many art fairs, and I walk up and down, and I can't find somebody I'm looking for. And in their booth, there is, number one, no trade sign. There's no indication of who they are they're there with their jewelry or their pottery and you have no idea who they are maybe on a table there's a little tiny sign brand your business be proud of it even repeat that that uh, logo in different locations in your business one big a couple small uh, and other ways to brand your business is like branded packaging when you sell something especially at a retail fair put it in a package that that sports your brand when a customer walks into another customer's booth and they see that bag and go, oh, my God, she's a friend of mine. What did you get? And out comes the scarf you bought, and that is free advertising. And then when the other customers see that, they see your logo, they remember those bags that they saw, makes an instant connection, boom, 
that is a huge increase in business at your next retail fair, and it costs practically nothing. So artists and craftspeople should not be putting their sold goods in garbage bags. In garbage bags, brown paper bags, at the very least, do a linoleum cut of your logo and stamp it on there. But branding, we are a brand society. We are brand loyal. And when somebody discovers you as a brand, they want more. They want to tell other people. It is just one of those things that big business thrives on and small business pays little attention to. That's my number 10. Number 10. Okay, how about you, Larry? What's your number 10 point? All right. Uh, choosing which shows to apply to. Um, all too often, artists will ask questions about a, a, a show they've already applied to and been accepted and they know nothing about. And it's, it's almost humorous watching those questions come up on the forum. If you, you should research a show ahead of time, find out if it's a good match for your work or your price range. Uh, look at the show's previous year's exhibitors on their website or their iPhone app and see what, you know, what other people are applying within your medium that you're competing against. And then the other thing is it's okay to apply to more than one show on a weekend. And a lot of artists, this question comes up very often, um, artists have always been doing that if they want to try to have a full schedule. So, yes, you can apply to more than one show on a weekend and then cancel the show you don't want to do if you get into that. But choose your shows carefully and make sure they're worth the extra money if the shows you cancel don't have a refund policy. All right. Okay. Very good. So so now we've got two good tips ready to go. So choosing the shows and branding. I like both of those. That's good enough for a whole show, just those two tips. All right, I'm ready for number nine, Bruce. Uh, number nine is uh, send positive vibes always and go into shows without expectations. So many times I go to a show and I see a person that through the course of the three days, the look on their face gets more and more tortured. The vibe <laughs> they're putting out is like a dark, like it sucks the, the oxygen out of the entire room. And it's like my advice is go to a show without expectation. Just say, I'm doing the show, and it's rife with possibility. And the more positive you are in the, the attitude that you project and the look on your face, the more uh, business you will do. I cannot tell you the number of times when one customer has changed the entire outcome of a show for me. And it only happens if you've got that positive look on your face and you're using the universal law of attraction to reel it in and uh, so number nine is always send positive vibes and go into shows without expectation and you will realize more um, positive energy and more sales than you ever would have with a negative attitude very good okay how about what's your number nine larry all right, understanding how the shows that you apply to jury. So you can you know, so you can choose your images and choose the order you put them in. Uh juried art services uses monitors and they see the images 3 over 2 on a gray background. Um and actually that's large enough on their website you can when you preview your application that's exactly how the jurors see it. Okay, I'm going to stop uh, you for a second there. The, I'm, I, no, I'm just going to stop you for a second. Are you saying that if you apply to a show that's a juried art services show, your work at the jury will be projected in a particular manner, a 3 over No, two, they not, don't project them. They, they only use monitors. Okay. 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 So I'm sorry. I'm going to let you continue. Go on. All right. Okay, and also the artist statement is in the middle of the page underneath the top middle picture, and at the fine craft shows, sometimes the artist's name is there too. Okay, Zap monitor during, which is 95% of the shows that use Zap, they see the images one at a time. They do not see them as a group. So your first and last image should be your strongest, so you make a good first and last impression. 5% of the Zap shows that use projectors project the images 
on four or five screens across in the room, you know, um, each image each image on its own screen. And those are, for the most part, those are some of the top shows in the country. So choosing your images for um, a projector jury could, could be different than you choose them for a monitor jury. And the other thing is your booth image should not have any distractions because if they're looking at your images for under 20 seconds, the more time they look at your booth, the less time they have to evaluate your art. All right? Okay. So I want to understand this. So are you saying that under the juried art system's usages that they are showing the images as a group? Yes. Rather than one at They're a time. They're showing the images. Right. And you can click on each of the five images and enlarge, enlarge. it. But all five image, right, but all five images are large enough on the page that you can see the group and get a feel for it. Okay. Okay, and there are pluses and, and it, minuses and it's, to each. And it's, well, and it, well, right, and Juried Art Services is on gray, so your black borders for your zap images may be a distraction. So All right. you should I mean, have two different sets of images? This, possibly, or at least in your mind, know which images that you want to use for the different types of juries. Um, you know, for projection jury, you want all your, your images to draw the, uh, the, the juror's eyes to the center of your presentation. The one on the left points to the right. The one on the right points to the left. Right. But if you're okay. in juried art services mm -hmm. where it's three over two, the ones on the bottom, you want to kind of like meet in the middle. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Oh, I'm already learning things here that I didn't know after all these years. Okay, Bruce, how, what's your number eight? My number eight, I just want to clarify for the people <laughs> out there listening that, that Larry's coming from the position of how you get into the show is like what you need to do to qualify and have the opportunity to be at the show. And my focus is on once you get to the show, what do you do to make the most of the opportunity? And my number eight, and, you know, I wrestled with this because the order of these uh, from 10 to 1 really plagued me in the last couple of days. But I put it number eight, post-show follow-up. And often I was wrestling with the idea, should this be number eight or should it be number one? Because <laughs> I tell you that so many of us throw away the opportunity. I, I did the New York gift show this summer. And I cannot tell you the number of opportunities that came my way. Somebody hands you a business card. Somebody tells you a story. Somebody says, I'm looking for a sapphire, blah, blah, blah. Or I need a bowl this big to uh, you know, hold a particular dish that I have for my family at the holidays. Those are all incredible treasure hunts. And we finish the show. We come home in a body bag. We unpack the van, and what happens? The phone rings, the orders are behind, everything, and we throw all those opportunities away. So between number eight and number one is this topic of post-show follow-up. If you don't do it, you are wasting literally between 10 to 20% of your opportunity at a show. I picked up a business card in New York and I followed up with that business card, and starting on Black Friday, I'm having my line on gifts.com, which could be the biggest thing that has ever happened in my business only because I followed up. And that point is there all the time. You do a retail show, somebody tells you a story, they may be crazy, but it doesn't mean they won't change your business. So I urge all of you to follow up, follow up, keep notes at the show, follow up, make those calls when you get back. Do it, do it, do it. When you, If you do wholesale, follow up with your customers. It is hidden treasure. It's a gold mine that very few artists tap. All right. Good. That's a, I love that one. Okay. You, just when you're exhausted and you're ready to do your all of your orders, you want to get on with that, you don't. Don't neglect what you spend all and your time you doing. You don't have to do it. Hire your teenage daughter. Hire there the you go. Daughter, right? <laughs> you don't have to do it, but somebody needs to do it. 
And even if they don't do it very well, it will be better than if you don't do it at all. Okay. A follow-up. Yep. Another chance. Okay, Larry, what is your number eight point? Okay. Uh, and this is the most controversial thing on the Zap website. Black borders or not on the Zap images. And it's been five years now since Zap changed the words on the website. They haven't changed how the show's jury. They've only changed the words. For if you're applying to a show that projects the images, and there's about 35 to 40 shows, and most of them are the top shows, you absolutely need to have your images prepared with black borders, squared 1920 pixels, and that's how they should be uploaded. Otherwise, Zap is going to take your images, resize them, add black borders, and resave your JPEG, and it's impossible not to lower the quality by doing that. Any change to a JPEG lowers the quality, even if you save it at 100%. It's still lower than quality than the image you uploaded initially. Now, so when the they say they when, want an image specific at specific pixels, you need to provide it to them at those pixels or you're in trouble. Is that what well, you're they, saying? They, well, they say it's no longer necessary because they do it oh. for you. Ah. Ah, and but if you're they do saying. it for you, they're you're modifying your JPEGs and saving them at a lower quality. Now, the more detail you have in the work, the more chance there is that that will be visibly lower quality because okay. JPEG is a lossy format to begin with. Now, okay. the black borders have never been an issue for the shows that do monitor jurying because that monitor jurying sees the images on a black background, so they never see the black borders. But they okay. just need those... Uh, the specific size with black borders so that everybody's images project the same size. Right. All right. Okay. Okay. So your advice in, in like 10 words is? Prepare your images 1920 pixels square with black borders masking rectangular images. And that will Excellent. ensure that your images will be perfect for every show you apply to. Okay, now I got it. Okay. Wow. Okay, so folks, I am talking to Bruce Baker, who is the man who is going to tell you how to sell your work at the shows. And he's got great advice so far. I like all three of these. And we're talking to Larry Berman, who is our expert on getting yourself, getting you into the shows, how to prepare your images, and what to show the juries. Okay, I'm ready now, Bruce. How about what is number seven? Number seven. Number seven is make your display match your art. The first rule of merchandising is the merchandising must match the merchandise, and the merchandise must match the merchandising. And artists spend, artists pour their guts out making unique, creative, wonderful pieces of art, and then when it comes to display, it's usually the last minute, the second, the, like at the 11th hour, they run to Sam's Unpainted Furniture and buy some pine and maybe paint it. And it's like when you bring these two things together, when you make your art match the way you display it, magic is created. And it doesn't need to cost a lot of money. It just requires a lot of imagination and it requires creativity. Some of the most wonderful displays I've ever seen have cost under $300. Yet, artists use displays right out of the can, um, pro panels, like uh, dynamic displays. All those are great systems. I wish I had invented them reaping the harvest, but then every booth <laughs> looks just alike, and I'll talk about that again in a minute. But ultimately, when you put some creative energy into the way you merchandise your art, and some of my next tips follow this, you will see absolute magic created in your booth. You will attract more people into the display, more people will be touching your product, and ultimately more people will be buying it. So make your art match your display, and your display match your art, and it isn't one size fits all. Oh, you're a man after my own heart, Bruce. We should have been married a long time ago. I'm on with you on that. Pro plant panels just bore me to tears. Why not be fabulous everywhere? Okay, Larry, we won't talk about pro panels together, but we'll go about what, what do you say for number seven? <laughs> well, 
<laughs> How about just a basic statement? Good photography or great photography is essential, especially in your competitive medium like jewelry. And I can't tell you the number of jewelers that send me their images that they they photograph themselves to, you know, and they want me to improve them. And sometimes I can, and sometimes it's it's almost impossible. Um, good photography takes the photography out of the equation and lets your artwork be juried on its own merit. And don't be too creative with the photography because you want the jurors to say, wow, great art, instead of saying, wow, a great photograph of art. You know, that really goes along with Bruce's here. It's the whole, what we're going to be showing them here. Okay, so, so Larry, can people photograph their own work? Well, absolutely, and I I walk a lot of artists through improving their own photography, Um, you know, where I'll have them set up, take a picture, send me the picture, I'll call, you know, we'll talk on the phone, I'll suggest ways to improve it, change the lighting, change whatever they need to change to make it look really good. And don't use your iPhone to photograph your artwork. (laughs) Does it require some fancy camera? It it requires, you know, it's the light more than the camera. Anything over six megapixels, yeah, anything over six megapixels is fine if you use the camera on a tripod. It's the Those light. are the two things, the light and the tripod, right? The tripod. Right. <sighs> okay. Right. It's All right. The dreaded T word. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. All right. And why is it? Why is the tripod important? Because it takes camera movement out of the equation. Okay. Make you know, there are, there are all kinds of variables. There's exposure variables. There's camera movement variables. There's white balance variables. Anything that you can lock down, like on a tripod, takes that out of the equation, and it doesn't become an issue anymore. All right. I'm a great believer in tripods. Okay, Bruce, I'm ready for your number six. Number six is a huge one, and it's a total paradigm shift. Often in my workshops I say most display decisions at art and craft fairs are propagations of errors, meaning that people keep repeating the same error over and over and over again. And when I ask them, why did you do that? And they say, well, because everyone else does. But that doesn't make it a good merchandising decision. Number six is use your walls to display your art and to create your branding statement. If you go to the next craft fair you go to, all of you listening, I want you to walk around and see how many people are actually using their walls. And it literally is about maybe three out of ten, 30% of the people. And generally they're potters or somebody's doing something two-dimensional. And how they're using their walls is they're using their walls as a backdrop for shelves. But jewelers, especially, I'm talking to you. I have every week somebody contacts me. I just had one yesterday where you look into this big empty room with three walls and there's a little table or dynamic displays in the back those walls are valuable. You're paying for them. Nothing sells earrings and necklaces better than hanging your your jewelry on the wall, where it's right there at eye level. A person can look at it and imagine it. So find new ways to use your walls, to create supports that will hold up cases, that will hold up displays, and put your work out there. And I will say one more thing. Is like getting people to interact with it is one of my other um, one of my other um, uh, topics that I'm going to cover. But basically, don't just think about tabletops as a way to display your art, but expand that into a way of using the walls and really making the most out of that 100 square feet. And if you're an inline booth, meaning not on a corner, you've got 30 feet of linear area that you need to be using every inch of, not just the tops of your shelves or the tops of your tables. All right. I know you've, especially a lot of the shows that we're involved in, a lot of my audiences 
they're outdoor shows, and you go walking down the street, and all you see, if there are a lot of people on the street, you just see heads, and there's all that white space in the and behind the booths, right at the tops of the booths, tops of the heads, because you can't. There's nothing there. Fill it, right? right? Is that what you're saying? Put something there That's, to get those people out of the middle of the street and into your booth, right? Okay. How about you, Larry? What's your number six? Wait, I think Bruce was trying to say something. Oh, excuse me, Bruce. Well, I was just saying, even if you're an outdoor show, most people consider their tent or their area just as this little awning. But what they're not realizing is you've got one, two, three sides, all ten feet wide that should have product on it. So really think about it. It's changing the entire mindset of the the perimeter of your booth is a display area that most people are not using. So you're saying that people think of it more as it's, it's a tent. It's something that's going to protect my work. And you're saying, oh, no, it's a storefront. Exactly. Well, it's a storefront. It's a room. In a, in, it's a it's room. A room. And you use the left wall, the right wall, the back wall, and then the tables and the cases inside. Boom. That's when you're maximizing the footprint of what you're paying for. All right. Okay, Larry, your turn. Number six. All right. Back to images. Backgrounds. Backgrounds should match your jury, your whole set of jury images. And they should contain neutral tones and not introduce a color. Gray, black, or graduated black to white work best as backgrounds. The artwork should pop off the background, not get lost or distracted by it. White should never be used as a background for jurying because it blinds the jurors and it prevents them from seeing fine detail in your work. Now, if you're a 2D artist or a, like a photographer or a painter, they shouldn't have a background and you should never include maps and frames. That's what your booth picture is for, to show your presentation. So it's just the art that you're being juried on and um, don't include any signatures or identification in the artwork, on the artwork, or in your booth picture for jurying. All right. Okay, so I have a piece, um, a painting, and it does not match that zap dimensions that you say. So what do I do? Black so I'm borders going to, to make it square. Black borders to make it work, and no math. Okay. Square. Great. Yeah, square. Square. Okay. All right. I'm ready for number five, Bruce. I would just like to jump on what Larry Larry said there, and I would say ditto everything he said. Boom. You nailed it. Except there is always an exception. And when artists are taking their own work, what sometimes you need to do is break the rules. I think for during, he's absolutely right, never use white. Yet several of the websites that I'm dealing with Everything is on a white background. So when you're having a photo session, so you don't have to go back and redo it. When you're in the photo session, you might want to consider photographing a piece for the jury and then dropping it on a white background, take a couple shots so you're ready for those opportunities when they present themselves, which is not an art fair but it's going to be something like a website or something that wants you to do the photography where they're expecting everything to be on white. Right, or or a magazine uh, article or publication. Exactly. Um, that's what white is pro- appropriate for. Good point. Mm. Okay, okay, number five, I would say display your art so that customers don't have to work to see it. And there's a couple things that come to mind. One is... Artists are addicted to tables. They bring tables to a display, but a table is meant to sit at. When you put your art on a table, it is automatically too low for 90% of the shopping public who is standing. Elevate that work so that it, they don't have to stoop over or bend. And along with this same point, number five, is don't um, uh, prohibit the touch response. Customers are four times more likely four times more likely to buy something that they can touch, something that they can pick up, something that they can get in their hand. Holding something, touching something is the first step in ownership. 
yet I go to shows where everything, everybody has everything on lockdown. I did a show this summer um, at the Eastern States Exposition Center. It's a big agricultural fair. It is attended by 1.5 million people. And every single day we saw 30,000 people in our booth. And I made the conscious decision to keep everything out. I said we're going to lose some pieces probably, but everything was open. We kept a good eye on it. We had the staff to, to staff it. We never lost one single piece in five days of being at a show because we trusted people and our sales were off the charts because people were able to touch the product. It was accessible to them. They could react to the product and react to each other, and we were selling, selling, selling all the time. So, display And you were showing so- jewelry, jewelry, right? Yeah. This is what you're talking about, jewelry, yeah. which is something easily picked up and stuck in a pocket. And I, you had I it all had, out there for 30 mm-hmm. – go on. bracelets out there every day for four days. We never lost a piece, a cheap piece or an expensive piece, never lost a one. And it's making me totally rethink the way I display. I'm going to a show next weekend, and I'm not taking my cases. Everything is going to be out. And, you know, you will lose something someday, but believe me, it is worth the risk when you trust people and they get to experience it without that barrier between you and your customer of the product being on lockdown. Well, that's kind of hard to accept, <laughs> but I think your experience uh, is uh, speaks for itself. That's okay. I just yeah, think right. about jewelry and yeah, wanting to everybody. And I understand because, of course, I'm. I love to shop for jewelry. I don't know a woman who doesn't, and you want to put your hands on it. That totally makes sense. And but it's mostly jewelry that gets locked down. Is there any any other media that you see people uh, closing up and not letting people touch? Well, anything that's small. But I've been to shows where yeah. pewter was on lockdown, and there's no reason for it. <laughs> you will sometimes lose a piece, or somebody mm-hmm. will drop something and ruin something. But business is risk. You're uh, no matter how careful you are, you're going to lose something. But it's just a part of business. But if you trust and you, like, trust people and you send the vibe that they're not idiots or they're not criminals, you're going to see so much more uh, reward at the end of the show when you trust them and let people have access to it. Well, that's very good points. Okay, Larry, what is your number five? Okay, well, whatever number it is. But uh, getting back to what Bruce was talking about, if okay. you raise your tables to 40 inches, it'll be the perfect height for people not having to lean over. 40 inches, okay. You're our detail yes. guy. All right, 40 inches. All right. Okay, and, and this one is a simple one. When, you're, when, you, when you have large artwork that's bigger than the background, doesn't fit on the background, uh, it's too big to take somewhere to have it photographed. Use your canopy. Use your white tent. Your artwork looks great when it's set up at a show, so why why not use that same quality of light to photograph it for jury? Use it like a white take, box? Well, yeah, but what you do is you hang three walls, your three sides, take the fourth side and put it on the floor. And that bounces light back up, and it gives you more even lighting. And it, it's basically, it's like shooting inside a 10-foot square easy cube, you know, the cubes that they use for photographing small objects. So if you have a large um, yes. large work, mm-hmm, you can shoot yeah, it yourself in, in, with bouncing the white light around. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's like so shooting let's say, inside let's, a big softbox in a mm-hmm, photographer's mm-hmm. studio. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. What were you oh. going to say? Let's say what? Well, let's let. Okay. So if you were a sculptor, do you not? You know, let's say you have some big piece. Would you put that in a light box also, or would? What about putting it on the hillside? Well, that's no. That introduces distractions, and uh-huh. it depends on whether it's supposed to be an installation or it's not. An installation means you're photographing it in, in the place where it's going to end up. 
so people get an idea how to use it. But if you're photographing it and you want a clean photograph, and you can buy um, background paper in 12-foot wide rolls, uh, 11-foot wide by 12 yards, and you can actually drape paper in your booth to photograph Mm -hmm. big pieces of sculpture. Right. Right. Okay. That's so... I got okay. So that's how to how to shoot big big pieces, right? I'm, well, I'm thinking it's one way. What, yes, it's one way. Okay. And the purpose of not putting it on the hillside or with the sunset behind it is because you're losing the focus on the work. Right. It becomes a distraction, and you don't want to introduce a distraction in the background. Okay. Well, you believe, guys, that we're halfway through and we're not going to finish this in 20 minutes. I imagine that. Uh, Bruce, give me a quick commercial. Tell us tell us who you are in your own words. Uh, well, I'm a, a jeweler, and I've been at it for a long time. And uh, sometime in the 80s or 90s, somebody encouraged me to um, teach a workshop, and I did it, and I absolutely loved it because – I found that every workshop I taught, not only did I teach someone something, but I also learned ten things. And um, what I do is a combination of what I've learned and mostly what people have shared with me. Some of the most invaluable tips have come from other artists, and that's one thing that is really unique about our business is people are so willing to share the information, not like industry where they hold everything as a trade secret, the recipe to Coca-Cola, you know. It's like artists will tell you anything that makes them successful, and it's one of the beauties (laughs) of our business. And uh, I'm just having a ball um, back in the jewelry business, back in the production, back in selling the work and marketing it to stores, and um, I'm as happy as I can be. Wow, that's that's great. And you've been at it for a while. That's great news. How about you, Larry? What's your commercial? What's my commercial? I started doing this in 2004 when Zap went live. And um, I, at the time, I was beta testing Photoshop, so I was already good at Photoshop. And all my friends came to me and asked me to scan their slides and prepare their images for jurying. And that became a new career. Uh, and, and since that... Since 10 years ago, I've worked with uh, well over 3,000 artists, either to improve their images or to photograph their artwork. You know. So people can hire you to, to uh, fix their images, right, and do, do work for them, right? Right, right. Okay, and, and Bruce, we forgot to say, Bruce, you have... That's why you're here. A consulting right. And Bruce, you have <laughs> CDs on sales, right, for sale. At your website, which is? Uh, I have a a CD on uh, sales and customer service, a CD on booth design, and a CD on uh, actually juries, uh, uh, how to uh, jury into shows. And um, you can find those online at bbakerinc.com. And um, the the one on sales, I, I tell you, so many people tell me, they call me in a panic because there's melted on their hood of their car or something. And many people listen to, to it before every show so that they're in the right mode, the right frame of mind yeah. so that they're ready to uh, do the show and face the public and make the most out of the opportunity. We used to listen to Zig Ziglar talks before a show so we'd be ready to meet the public, Right. Get yourself in the mood, and and hey, Larry. And so, where where can people find you, Larry? Uh, on Art Fair Insiders. <laughs> <laughs> Art Fair Insiders or BermanGraphics.com, right? right. Or okay. Berman, BermanGraphics.com. Okay, well, you guys only and, have four. And, yes, go on. Oh no, I was going to say, and um, artists can call me at any time if they have questions. Which All right. and we'll get to in a minute. Okay. I All hope right. we have questions. I hope so. Why? Okay, I'm ready for we got four points to go. Bruce, you're number four. Number four. Number four is so important and so often overlooked. Lighting. Have it. Focus it on your work and use it. I cannot tell you the number of people that I encounter. I just had a woman call me the other day for a, a booth evaluation. She had no lights. 
Why do you have no lights? Oh, well, I haven't gotten to it yet. Lighting is the one thing that customers don't notice consciously, but if you if people cannot see it, they will not buy it. And right now we're in a whole new world of lighting. LED is magic. I just switched over to LED lighting for my booth. I draw literally about 100 watts of power, and I have better illumination, absolutely no heat. The bulbs cost $50 a piece, but they will. I will be able to pass them onto my children. They have human lifespan, bulb life. And you, you just, it's like it doesn't matter. Any light's better than none, including you holding a flashlight. But light your work. Focus it on the product, not on the floor. Make sure that you're not using compact, compact fluorescent or some other stupid lighting that doesn't work for retail. Focus light, direct it on your product, and you will create visual magic. How do you find this lighting? Anywhere. You can go to Home Depot. How I bought my lights is I live in Vermont. We have something called um, Vermont Energy, that's some sort of energy initiative. And you can buy an LED light, you know, right now on special for $7. That bulb is usually 50 bucks. Um, big ones for the show cost around 75 bucks, but you can get deals on it. And the price on these things are coming down, down, down every single month. Um, what you want are floodlights and spotlights that are LED lights that really focus the product, and they screw into regular track lights or regular clip-on lights. There, there's, it's, the, the fixture really doesn't matter. It's just the bulb that's important. Right. I think I have a $1,200 light bar in my darkroom. So those days are gone. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yep. Boy, yep. I should have sold it when I could. And, okay. And dark rooms are gone, too. <laughs> oh, there's that. <laughs> we have an archive here. Okay. Larry, what's your number four? Okay. This is basic. Camera settings. When you buy a new camera and take it out of the box, it is totally set wrong for photographing your artwork. Besides not being able to capture the most pixels at the highest quality, they are set to give shallow depth of field with a faster shutter speed so you can take pictures of your pets. And actually, that's what people take more pictures of, either their children or their pets. Um, so what you need to do is reverse the settings. Um, low ISO, stop the lens down for maximum depth of field, and use a tripod so the camera can choose a longer shutter speed to give you an accurate exposure. Um, and, and this is one of those things where if you, we can go on forever about this. So that's why I'm going to say if anybody wants to call me afterwards, I'll be glad to talk to them about how to set their camera, how, you know, how to photograph their work. Can I give my phone go number? Ahead. Does that matter? Yes, go ahead and do Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah 412-401-8100. That's a good Say it again. Can I add something? Wait, 412-401-8100. And before Bruce adds something, I want to add something to his lighting tips. When you're photographing your booth picture in an indoor show, Use a tripod and take the picture with and without your lights on. Because if your booth picture has spotlights on your pieces, on your artwork in the booth, it makes it impossible to color correct the picture. So usually it's much better off using the ambient light in the room to photograph your booth for a booth picture. All right, Indoor. go ahead, Bruce. Okay, and Indoor. what I wanted to add is if you bought a camera, my advice is... Put it in the box and hire somebody like Larry or hire Larry to take your photos because the last thing you want to do, if you will just make your art, just make your art and hire a photographer, you will be light years ahead of the learning curve on how to take photographs that are good enough to get you into most of the shows you want to be into. I mean, it's a skill, and most people don't have it. And there are people out there that will do this for you, make your art, pay them. Most people get caught in the control issue of taking their own photography. And, and you Focus your energy on what you can do the best. I mean, right. Focus but your you energy on what you do, and what, that's being a creator, not a photographer. Right. Your turn, Larry. Right. 
Oh, I was going to say, you only need five or six pieces photographed for jurying. You don't have to photograph your entire collection. You can do that for yourself or for your website, but for jurying, you don't need more than a half a dozen pieces. Okay. My point. Exactly. Okay, this calling the specialists. All right. Number three, Bruce, what is number three? Number three. My number three is create impressive work. So often I go to shows and everybody's making the same thing, the same thing, the same thing. You can walk up and down the jewelry aisles. You can walk up down the pottery aisles. Everybody's making the same thing. No matter what you do, make it impressive. It might be the scale. It might be the fact that you you uh, crochet pearls, ocean pearls, into uh, a sweater or a garment. Create impressive work using impressive materials like gold leaf. When you make it impressive, your work becomes a magnet. It sucks customers off the aisle. They come into your space, and they have a totally different experience that you can talk about when they're there. Create impressive work, have an impressive display, and you will see the rewards of that effort in spades. And it does not have to be um, high-end materials, right, Bruce? Just as long as it's impressive, it could be the size. It can be impressive if something is really large and monumental built for one of these mega homes, like a lamp that is made out of ceramic that, you know, is, you know, $1,800, but it's huge. Or Mm -hmm. it can be impressive because it is something that we are not used to seeing in miniature, miniature, miniature. That can be impressive, too. But as long as it has the wow factor. And a lot of artists have lost that wow factor because everybody is struggling to survive. Don't let go of the wow because when you put that impressive, impressive is what gets your customers' attention. Be fearless. Fearless. I like that, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that's a really great one. I Yeah. Okay, Larry, number three for you, Larry. All right, consistency in your body of jury images. And this is something I've learned from listening to Bruce Baker when we've done workshops together. When you choose pieces to use for jurying, if you choose them from pieces that have been made at the same time, they'll look like they came from the same mind and they'll photograph well together. Also, be aware that not every piece looks good that looks good to you will photograph well. So be prepared to photograph a few extra pieces so you could test which group makes a better presentation. Really? So you're saying that not everything photographs well uh, or comparably. Uh, not at is all. that well, what what does that mean? Well it it's some pieces would it have scale look great or and, would it be and materials? No, it's it's no, it's just the, the feel for the piece won't be there in the photograph, and sometimes that happens. A 2D does not replicate necessarily a 3D object. Is right. That well, that's another proper issue. Proper interpretation? Oh, oh, okay. Oh, that's a different, okay. Yeah, yeah I mean, the way, it's just, way, I mean. I explain this when I have the Larry hat on, I'm doing workshop, is that your images need to have the same DNA. They need to have this relationship between one object and the next where you can see that it's coming from the same mind. And I find a lot of artists want to show, well, I do scrimshaw and tree fungus, I throw pots, oh, I leave scarves <laughs> no. and all together, and it just, they look like they're deranged to the jury. Okay, right. Okay, now, now I get that that consistency part totally, and and I to, and be only it's only beginners who seem to know that, and that we it's this whole focus, right, in making something that uh, tells a story, Larry. Would it? Well, here here's the thing. Depending on your experience level at doing art shows, some artists add to their jury set each year, and some create a whole new set. The ones that add to their jury set is when they create a piece that works with pieces they've done in the past, they add it to their jury set and drop the weakest image. 
Now, right. all, people, all, uh, artists are all the time asking me, I, I mean, do I need to have all new jury images each year? And you don't. Um, humorously, when I first started scanning slides for Zap, I had two or three artists send me Kodachromes that were stamped 1982. So those artists have been using the same jury images for 22 years. <laughs> oh, you know, and, and oh, there are artists like that out there, and then there are artists that create new work every year, and their work evolves, it grows, it changes, and then they need to have it photographed so they don't run into a problem where the, the show people come around and say, that's not what you juried with. You never want that to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. That's a good one. Now we're getting near the end, and we have nine minutes. Well, probably seven minutes. Okay. Bruce, what is your number two in the countdown? Number two is develop products that customers want to buy. I so often see artists who are making what they want to make and then being frustrated by the fact that no one wants to buy it. And it's just like, as artists, we are not entitled if we need to make a living from our business. We are not entitled to just make what we want to make. We have to make things that customers want to buy, and the only way that you can find that out is to pay attention to consumer trends. And one of the best ways to do that is look at mail-order catalogs. Look at what is going out there in Sundance and in Willoughby Taylor and the Smithsonian catalog and all the mail order catalogs and all the online catalogs. Those businesses can't afford to make mistakes. They are telling you it is a primer on what we as artists need to, the niches that we need to fill because that's what customers want to buy. When you close that gap, you will see much more prosperity at your shows. Another thing that someone told me recently that can really help is to listen to the people in their booth. Yes. <laughs> I wish you had this larger and in blue. If you hear that twice, make it larger and in blue, and you've got a winner. <laughs> and that and that not, is it is not it is in a sense compromise, but it is learning. They obviously like your work, but they would like it in this other way. Can I make that compromise, or am I going to sell out? What, what do you say, Bruce? It's, it's just business. <laughs> it's like any it's, business, any corporation would listen to what the customers want, and they would make it. But artists like, well, I don't want to do that because it's too hard to ship, or it doesn't fit in my van, or you know, what, whatever. It's like make Develop products that customers want to buy, and you will see a whole new world open to you. All right. That's a very good one. These are getting better and better. Okay, Larry. Well, wait. Well, wait till number one. Connie, you know, as a photographer, they'll come up to you and say, do you have that photograph of that red rose in, in yellow? You know. <laughs> well, and true. That, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. All right, my next tip. Uh, what sells well doesn't jury well, and what juries well doesn't sell well. And this is a general rule. Tend to think their best-selling artwork is what they should jury with. Usually more commercial, popular, or cliched work sells well, but experienced jurors look for something different. They look for something they've never seen before or something they've seen but in a way that they've never seen it. Excellent. You, what what he just said, everybody needs to listen to. It is the number one misconnect with with artists sending their work to a jury. They think their best selling items are the ones that they should jury with, and what Larry just said is spot on. We could plaster that all over our fair insiders. We could totally plaster that statement. That is not Absolutely. what we're showing the jury. What you're just because that photo or that pot or that piece of jewelry sells out like crazy doesn't mean that's what you're going to show the jury. What am I going to show the jury, Larry? What I what did I just say? Um, something <laughs> they've never seen before, or, so, or something they've seen in a way that they've never seen before. I mean, okay. different. 
How many Red Rock Canyons I mean, do we to, need to see? Well, that's what uh-huh. I was just going to say. I, I evaluate photographers' work all the time, and I've done shows myself where you can have six photographers with the same images in their booth, and you could interchange the photographer from booth to booth. Mm-hmm. You know, photographers are, you know, they're the biggest, I mean, I don't know how, how you describe that, but you see it a lot in photography. Okay. You know what? So, We're almost out of time. So we have got to get to number one. More one. Ready, Bruce? What is number, number one? one? Your top ten. Top. And this is going to push a lot of people's buttons, but number one, the number one key to success at art fair and, and uh, trade show uh, uh, success is don't be afraid to sell your art. Don't be afraid to sell your work. We all somehow learned, those of us who went to art school, that if you had to sell it, that there was something wrong with that. Forget about it. That is an old paradigm, and the people that taught us that were making their living from a state university or uh, some sort of uh, government check that they were getting. Don't be afraid to sell your art. First of all, you need to learn how. You need to learn how to talk to people, but sell it, sell it, sell it. People love to be sold. If you don't sell it to someone, the customer will leave your booth, walk to the next booth, and buy something from somebody who was just better at selling it to them. And there's no, there's no stigma about selling your art. When, when you do it, you will reap the reward, and I cannot tell you how passive people are at art shows. They sit there and wait for the customer to make up their mind and say, I'd like to buy this. And if you're doing that, you're missing literally 50% of your potential business. Ask for the sale? Just it, it, People say to me all the time when I teach people how to sell, they say, that's so manipulative. And I say, yes, it is. Selling is manipulative. You just need to learn how to do it and realize it's okay. If you ask for the sale, but my, the way I sell often is to tell, I look at somebody and say, I hear this all the time. When people, you know, look at that painting, they feel a sense of peace. Or when they wear a piece of my jewelry, it just makes them feel more powerful. And when it doesn't have to be directly to them. You can, like, side skirt it, but it still sails. To say, when you put this on, it is going to make you feel so happy. And they put it on, (laughs) and they look at themselves, and they go... I am happy. I'll take it. That salesperson. <laughs> All right. I think I think you could sell me anything, Bruce. Okay. Larry, what's your top tip? <laughs> All right. Um, and this will be short. The three deadly sins of journey. Sex, politics, and religion. All three topics are guaranteed to turn off at least as many jurors as are turned on by them. Ah, very anybody good. Anybody that has, yeah, anybody that has a strong feeling about something, they'll either love it or hate it, and that'll either work for you or against you. Oh, my gosh, guys. All right. You know what? We're running out of time. Wow, that was a great one. All of you guys, thank you. I never ran out of time like this before. Anyway, folks. This is Larry Berman and Bruce Baker, and you can listen to this again and again and again. Download it, the free podcast at iTunes in the podcast section. Subscribe there. We have many more interesting shows in the works with some of the nation's top show directors, artists, and marketing experts. On our next podcast, we'll be reporting the results of our recently completed 2014 survey on America's Best Art Fairs. Let me hear from you. Oh, and don't forget, don't Bruce don't, and Larry. What? What, Larry? Oh, don't forget to tell people they can post questions to the blog on Art Fair Insiders. Yes, head head over to Art Fair Insiders right now. There's a blog post right there. We'd love to have more questions, and our experts will answer them. Thank you, Bruce, and thank you, Larry. Until next time. Visit ArtFairInsiders.com, tell your friends about us, like us on Facebook, and go out, create, and make money. You guys have been terrific. Many, many thanks. Thank you, Connie. And Bruce, I'm sorry I didn't take any of these callers, but this was 
too much great information. Post your questions at fairinsiders.com. Thank you, Bruce. Thanks, Larry. All right. All right. Thanks, Connie.